Today I'd like to focus on the most enlightening and challenging topic. Sex. More or less. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Tell me about this Monday group. There's five patients in the group. Like, like five cuckoos? No. Four neurotics of varying degrees and one killer. Today, as part of our Rerotica series, we'll be discussing The Color of Night. Starring Bruce Willis. I just don't have anybody to be romantic with. You don't want to fuck me or marry me. Jane March. You have this kindness in your eyes. <laughs> but I think that you're using it to keep me away. You know, you're, you're trying to play it safe. You're trying to see me as a case instead of as a female. Ruben Blades. You stick your dick in a barrel of barracudas once, maybe you won't lose it. You leave it in there, it's gonna get chewed off at the root. Leslie Ann Warren. You know, it's really swell. Snooping around here. Snipping for blood on other people's hands. <laughs> Lance Hemrickson. Was he shot, stabbed, beaten? Have they got a suspect, a motive? And Brad Dourif. And if you must know, I do have somebody in my life. Black, emotional, whole, unattractive me. Directed by Richard Rush. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. People are getting killed around here and you're walking around like it's goddamn Disneyland. It's Gally in Glasgow. So what color are my nipples? It's Devlin in London. Nice boosh. It's Patrick from London. Dale, you fucking daffodil. <laughs> it's Matt in South Korea. He did the accent. <laughs> oh, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang, to uh, another episode of the Rewire Movie Podcast, a re-rotica, uh, Patrick's choice, and uh, and just just a reminder for those listeners of what this series is all about. We are rediscovering those milestones in our lives, those films that awoke us sexually, shall we say. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> am I seeing red? I don't know. Patrick, please explain to the listeners why why we are doing The Colour of Night. Well, be- because it uh, awoke me sexually. <laughs> 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 All right, Colour of Night. It, very odd one. It was, it was a weird one because when you guys would, uh, when it was, when we were organizing the Rerotica series, um, it un- unearthed a, a distant memory of mine. And I was like, this is Bruce Willis-, Willis film. Oh, I remember it. I remember swimming pool. I remember Bruce Willis's penis. I remember sex in the pool and like, Oh, that, that's an erotic thriller. Yeah. 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 And I was trying to, it's been, I'll be trying to figure out where and how I first watched it and. I must have been late teens, 17, 18, and I think I caught it on Channel 5 late at night. Saw the synopsis, like erotic thriller, Bruce Willis. I was like, okay. And I, I definitely didn't see it from the start of the film. I think I jumped into it. Um, and I don't, and I just remember, uh, oh, spoiler kind of thing, just watching Jane March and thinking, well, there's no mystery here. This is really <laughs> obvious. Like what? Hmm. And I was very distracted by that part of the film because at the time, I think I was a bit snobbish heading to uni and the film studies with you guys and thinking, is this film taking the piss? Like, is it, you know, is it supposed to be obvious and they're all stupid or why is it? Uh, Anyway, um, 
So it's one of those, it was that. And then just, yeah, everyone, I think, remembers the swimming pool scene. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just a late night thing, I think. That's, um, that's how I remember it. And I thought it was a good, I had to look up the title. I couldn't even remember the title when I was trying to suggest it to you. I just went through Bruce Willis's back catalog and finally found it. And that's when I suggested to you lot. Um, and, what, I, I think you've all never seen it before. I'd never seen it before. Uh, I, I was aware of the pool scene. Don't ask me how, but, uh, <laughs> in, uh, it, it's the film sort of in that category of being renowned for its male nudity as opposed to things like basic instinct and wild things that we've covered that were sold on the actresses kind of stripping down. Um, allegedly it's, it's a, a, a penis double. Did you find out if that was true or not? That I think it was true for some deleted scenes that we don't get that were cut because it it was too explicit um, from the male nudity that they've it's been deleted. Right. But that I think that is that is Brucey. I think he was quite confident in his body and himself at the time because we see a bit of Brucey in Pulp Fiction. You do yeah. I think I think it's the same. <laughs> the same thing. It's so it's so purple. I mean, it's a proper. Purple root, isn't it? Purple headed womb ferret. <laughs> but aside from the Michael Douglas style butt walks, like, um, you know, it's probably a good thing that, like we said, that it levels things out amongst the sexes. Um, so aside from that pool scene, I didn't know anything about it. And I, I think it, the, the erotica season was triggered by the, the success of basic instinct. So I, I put together an entire season of erotic thrillers and, and made my way through them and made a bingo board. I'll put it on the, on the show notes for this one, I think it's the right time to release it into the world. Um, did, did it awaken you sexually, Matt? <laughs> well, what, what, <laughs> you mean re- <laughs> reawaken or, uh, I mean, I didn't see it until, <laughs> yeah. until now. So I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I, I did enjoy your message, um, to the group. The my, just after you, your first viewing that was just watched color of night insane. <laughs> it, it, nothing prepared me for the madness of it. So, um, yeah, I'll pass over to Devlin. It was the first time for you. Uh, yes, I'm still reeling from this because, uh, due to various circumstances, not least of which is, uh, minor Matt's, um, once again, uh, uh, out of hand epic <laughs> podcast episode, <laughs> which has meant that I'm currently, uh, uh, up to my remarkably untanned hips in zombie movies. Um, I only watched this last night. So there's an awful lot going on. Uh, I'm currently going through a reawakening, so I'm not quite sure what to do with myself. Uh, so yeah, first watch, first watch about, um, uh, 16 to 18 hours ago. So, uh, a lot of questions, a lot of questions for you specifically, Patrick. Consider this an opportunity for group therapy then, Devlin, because this was also my first watch. And, um, I've got to say, I feel awoke. Um, like, <laughs> but in, so, so yeah, so there it is. So Patrick, you're the only one of the, the gang that's seen it. So we're all in the sort of processing phase, self-reflection, sort of yeah. uh, trying to work out exactly what the hell is going on. And hopefully this episode will be an opportunity for us to do that. Um, I guess one of the questions I had though, and, and it's something that we discussed when we, when we're going through this entire series, starting with basic instinct, then wild things, and now with color of night is, this is made by Hollywood Pictures, which, um, for those that don't know, uh, produced 
absolute classics like Dangerous Minds and mm. The Sixth Sense, also with Bruce. Doesn't get his willy out in that one, I believe. I haven't seen it for a while. Um, but th- it is a subsidiary of Disney. To know that before you go in is something quite special. Because mm. I want, uh, you know, no sandwich is still in the tin foil, but I want this on Disney Plus like <laughs> yesterday. This is uh, this is one of those films that needs to to make its way onto that streaming service. And if it does, they might have a subscriber over here. I'm telling you, it must be only the second Disney produced film to say the word. Yeah, Yours very loudly too. From promiscuous. It's also um, got ties to Karolko. Um, the first name that leapt off the screen mm. for me was Andrew G. Vajner, uh, of Mario Casar. <laughs> yes. Even the name, even the name brings up <laughs> horrible, horrible imagery. Yeah, of Mario Casar and Andrew G. Vajner fame, um, from the now sadly deceased Karolko pictures, which, uh, Patrick's favorite cutthroat island killed. Um, was it worth it, Patrick? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Gina Davis, I was in love with her. Uh, I love seeing uh, all the the Karolko logos. Like from the films of my youth, it's just the list goes on. It's like the Rambo's, Total Recall, um, T two, Cliffhanger. I think that was nice to see. But, but what do we think then? Because this feels like it's very much riding off the coattails of Basic Instinct, and um, there is, and I'll point it out because it's very, very well written, very funny. There is an article on Birth Movies Death which is just wonderfully encapsulates the madness of uh, this film. We'll try our best to do something similar, but this feels like such a ripoff from the script stage. I mean, the, the ticks of basic instinct are all there. We have car chases, we have explicit sex, we have a whodunit, we've got um, somebody cross-dressing, it's all there. Um, but, but what, what, uh, is that the only thing that inspired this film to be made? I mean, the, the one that, that kind of, um, slightly separates this from, say, Basic Instinct is, um, the pseudo therapy, mm. which reminded me of, uh, did you guys ever watch the animated series Dr. Katz? Yeah. When you were growing up. Well, that came out in 95. Um, and that felt very, very kind of on point. And then it reminded me of like, as good as it gets and goodwill hunting and there's all these films in the nineties, uh, patch Adams. That's another shocker. Analyze this. Yeah, yeah. They, they all were looking into therapy, even like the Sopranos is, you know, based, you know, the central conceit is Tony goes yeah. into therapy. I, uh, and, and this feels like early, early exploration of psych psychiatry. It's also got, like roots in De Palma, hasn't it? And Giallo. And, um, mm-hmm. so I, I think it's a film that wants to be a De Palma film. And, uh, it, it even uses like that split diopter thing that he does, like, which yeah. I hate because they mm-hmm. put that kind of grease down the middle to, to try and cover the join so they can have two <laughs> things in focus at the same time. But yeah, that feel, that felt like a De Palma special to me. A bit of soft focus. I love the split diopter, but I feel like, um, you have to do it when there's a really, really specific reason to mm. do it as opposed to, just, oh, you've got two people in a room and you haven't blocked them properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they only do it, is it, they only do it once, I think. I think there's only the one in this, yeah. But there's some soft session. focus too, like a carry style soft focus or dress to kill, like you mentioned therapy. Mm. Uh, there's, there's a lot of that going on. There's in. a few mirror shots as yeah, well. Reflection keeps both characters yeah, yeah. in, uh, in focus as well, just to. Yeah. And we should say, you know, when we, this film feels like a De Palma film, which feels like a Hitchcock film. So it's all, it's all, you know, kind of coming full circle. But the, um, yeah, just 
I guess when you have an established star like Bruce Willis, you know, maybe that's, that's an immediate green light for, for a project like this, you know, a $30 million budget. So we're not talking huge money. I mean, it's probably a middling budget for nowadays for inflation, but 37 million and it made half yeah, of it back, but it, <laughs> but, but it made a shitload more back on VHS and people wore it out by pausing in the appropriate <laughs> moments. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a bit absolutely. of a, what they call Skinamax favorite in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always, always on as a dirty movie on, on cable, apparently. And so I suppose that is where the studio is coming from. But what about, what about Bruce? Because I found it quite fascinating to go back into his filmography. You know, I'm not going to use it as a bit of a pun, but I wonder if he had a, he was suffering from an identity crisis in his own stardom because I looked at the movies he was doing post Die Hard, which is obviously his, his big kind of, star film and mm. and he's he's on the way out right coming into 94 until pulp fiction he's doing striking distance which yeah is a bit of a lame duck uh the last boy scout which is a good action film but i i wouldn't say it made you know huge waves um and then he's like a voice actor in look who's talking he's the a periphery comedic uh sideline character in uh death becomes a He's on the way out, right, in 94 until Pulp Fiction. Thank thank goodness for Quentin. It's a strange truncated, because I guess like we're looking at a time when people would put out like maybe a film or two films a year. And the fact that when you're saying he's on the way out, but at this point, his like movie stardom after his TV stardom, he's only about six years deep into his career. Um, and they say that Hudson Hawk was like the, the grand mm. boy that almost fucked him. That's only three years after... Uh, die hard so maybe um maybe you didn't get much chance to to fuck it up he's in the player as well around this time so he was i think i think it was was it tom hanks that said like if you make a good movie they let you make three more it's something like that you you get three more chances if you make a big hit you get three chances so even though hudson hawk is seemingly his lowest ebb i would argue that color of night (laughs) is actually his lowest ebb because it's like like Gally says, Tarantino is the one who resuscitated his career. This, yeah. this was made between Striking Distance and Pulp Fiction. And, uh, you know, he's still bankable. Um, but, you know, 93 wasn't kind to him. Like my, my uncle bought me Striking Distance on VHS from the airport. He, he, he would always visit from Hong Kong. And uh, whenever he whenever he came, he'd, he'd give me a VHS tape and uh, something he'd usually never seen. And, uh, so I've got a soft spot for striking distance. It's like, you know, a fairly okay whodunit with Tom Sizemore's in it and Dennis Farina's in it. And, and he got slated, but he's a boat cop. And the tagline is they shouldn't have put him in the water if they didn't <laughs> want him to make waves. <laughs> so, that is brilliant. That's not bad. But, um, so yeah, I've got a soft spot for that, but th- this feels like as low as it got, he was really on the da- down and out until Tarantino kind of plucked him plucked him out so so i was when i was watching it i felt like it was bruce trying to relive a bit of his moonlighting days mm. you know trying mm. to bring some of that character to on the screen that kind of subtle charm and wise it's not as cool thing. though is he no he doesn't, he doesn't well the only thing i could get from him in, in response to the film is in recent years when asked about the film all he said was it didn't work <laughs> well he's definitely he's, he's he's looking across the he's looking across the way at the award ceremonies and he's looking at michael douglas and he's wondering yeah yeah exactly well, I, can, I can do that that is what he's thinking yeah 
But, Plus, also, like, let's not forget the, the director. He he'd been uh, Oscar nominated for the stuntman, best director, best adapted screenplay there, and you know he's coming off the back of some sort of promise and mm. something that was a hot topic at the time, nineties nudity, and um, you know maybe the psychological, uh, the therapy stuff was new and exciting to them as well. I can I can see the things in it, but it feels like the director just wanted to do his own <laughs> shit and he kind of mm. tore up a script that sounded quite interesting you know like the, the the beginning of the film is is really interesting and quite striking and that there's promise there i, I don't really understand why he goes colorblind from it but at least there's intrigue and there's a character thing there to to, to start uh bill on his journey i'll tell you guys to hold your horses because before we get into the color of night the Jack and Ori book is out. Is the Jack and Ori oh. book is out. And please give us a plot synopsis for us and our listeners for The Colour of Night. Just as a caveat, I'd say uh, this is not safe for CDBs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I've gone a lot shorter than previous attempts. And actually, the DVD covers lent itself very well to this. So, Colour of Night. <clears throat> New York psychologist Dr. Bill Capper is stunned when an old friend and colleague is brutally stabbed to death. Capper believes the vicious murderer to be one of the members of the therapy group. While all around him falls apart, he finds Rose and they embark on a reckless and passionate affair of erotic sexual discovery. But is there more to Rose than meets the eye? He will only know if he survives long enough to find out. A tense and steamy erotic thriller featuring some of cinema's most controversial sex scenes ever. Bravo, Patrick, and bravo for the DVD cover. However, I take umbrage with that synopsis because you are missing a vital aspect of the movie. (laughs) Namely, we have saxophone music that comes straight in. (laughs) Danielle described it as the Cadbury's milk tray advert plus (laughs) 10 decibels higher on George Michael's Careless Whisper two-bar intro saxophone. I mean, it is, it comes in strong Mm -hmm. and it does not, it doesn't let up the whole film. The soundtrack is outrageous. It comes in very strong and then hard cuts when we get to an actual scene, which means... Well, yeah, and that's the... uh, It's gonna (laughs) be fucking, but not yet. Not yet, not yet. And also, that, that synopsis completely bypasses what are the most unintentionally hilarious intros to a character. You know, we haven't done Roadhouse yet, but it's the barmaid. Yeah, it's the barmaid. <laughs> yeah, it's um, Kathleen Wilhoit, yeah. Yeah, so first she's putting on lipstick, and then she decides to become the Joker and starts just wrapping it around her lips all over the place, and then colours in a teeth. And then she sucks off a gun. Yeah, well, mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, intriguing, awakening. <laughs> you know, she's literally fellatioing the weapon. But, and then it just hard cuts to therapy? Uh, what is well, that's, going that's on? the only place you can go from there, I think. It's, it's very odd when she goes to therapy as well, because uh, she's messed up her face with the lipstick and everything, and then she's dressed up properly at the therapy. And I don't know, if she was that desperate to go to the therapy, I wanted her to still be looking a bit bedraggled. And... Patrick, are you trying to apply logic already? <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> no, I think we should actually, because that's, that's fair. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's an interesting, Way to start a movie, isn't it? Like, do, does she know what she's going to do when she visits with uh, with Kappa? Well, why, why, why suggest the gun and like the suggestion of suicide to then go to therapy to then do, to then jump out the window? 
it's to, to to spurn him, but we have no idea of their relationship. So it's kind of odd. It's, it's really... Is that an, uh, an implication? The fact that she's getting so kind of made up for him, is it an implication that he's... Well, I also saw red, you know, we were establishing red the colour very early on and the lipstick and I saw hmm. that as a danger sign. Is red the colour of night? It's the colour of emotion, Dev. It's the colour of, of all sorts of this film. Danger, passion, <laughs> whatever you want to murder, whatever you want to apply, night. red is the colour <laughs> night. Yeah. I mean, my my initial thought was the costuming of, of the, um, the poor lady who decides to throw mm. herself out the Michelle. window. Red and green should never be seen. So that is why she is flying out that window. <laughs> but I, I assume that Bruce is, his, his fatal flaw as a, as a doctor and a therapist is one, he's dreadful. And two, he's just way over familiar, right? I think he, yeah. he, he gets right up in her face. I didn't understand that they were in therapy until she was about to throw herself through that massive picture window, which looks very Hudsucker proxy, by the way. I think somebody had, but I, I thought, I didn't understand what these people were yelling about. I think most of my viewing of this was I was really like far behind what was happening in the film all the time, possibly because I'm a dum-dum and also possibly because I was squinting so hard to try and work out what anyone was doing (laughs) that I didn't have time to try and jump ahead in like the, you know, oh, I've solved it. I didn't know who the fuck was the murderer because I was just confused all the time. So... I didn't know what they were yelling about. I didn't understand that he was a therapist because the things he was saying were not very therapeutic. No, like I said, though, we said over familiar and he's, I think it's trying to establish him as an arrogant, uh, so and so at the beginning of in his job role, which is why brought back down to, to start behaving properly when he's, he's back, uh, count bacula. Yeah. Well, almost crashing down like a dummy falling from the sky. I hey, mean, that's honest a fucking God. good, like, I quite like that fall. Get out of town. There's a lovely yeah. shot through when the reflection mm-hmm. of the body going through the the multiple windows. There's a couple of shots that I was like, "Well, that looks like a body." There's there's an interesting shot up through the pavement that's very odd. Yeah. It's like that uh, her, her face is on the like glass or something, and the camera's mm. filming up as if it was the pavement. Uh, the policeman on the horse, which is cool. The, the, but, but prior to that shot, Matt is the close up of her face going. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, yeah. which does Not look so like a dummy and is cheap and doesn't really work. Forgive me, but give me Hans Gruber flailing stuntman over a dummy being chucked out of a window. It may be There's, there's so certain hard. wide shots, Gully, in that that work and we see mm. quite nice wides of the city. There's, when it cuts back to him though and he's got tears streaming down his face and he just knocks into a lamp as well. Like. <laughs> yeah, just bumps into it. That's where I felt he was uncomfortable in his own skin. Yeah. I, I That didn't seem like Bruce wait, to me. Wait till you see him on a bike. Like he was flailing. <laughs> when you yeah. see him on the bike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all this, all this early stuff though. And we haven't mentioned you. I think you mentioned, um, Oscar winning director. Let it be said though, Patrick, and, and me and Devlin have made mention of this when we talked about the, uh, director of photography of Jaws 2. It can happen that people of, of talent and acclaim can kind of lose it. And I do wonder if, um, if the director, Richard Rush, may have lost the eye by the time he got to Color of Night, because this film is, it's, it's gonzo. I mean, it's absolutely. Well, he he, he even amended the script himself and wrote his own thing. Cause the, the script writer, we didn't mention that in the prep. He, he wrote Captain Phillips and Hunger with, Games. Uh, like Billy Ray. Films. Although it's Billy Ray's yeah. second, uh, uh, credited screenplay. So I'm not quite sure how much influence he had over. But there's, the, there's quite progressive things in it, Dev. So like it's quite, 
but I think it's just gone by the wayside for Rush's odd tone and humour and balance, which it, there is none. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Rush, I, Rush had an interesting career, though, right? I was looking, uh, I, yeah. I heard of him. Kiara actually looked this up for me because she was ahead of me on this one. She's like, who the fuck made this? And then she was looking at it. And she saw him, uh, she's like, Hell's Angels on Wheels. And he's like, he was making biker pictures in the 60s. Yeah. Like, that means he's. He, he claims to have, like, founded Rack Focus in the 60s with films like that as well. And, yeah. you know, right. he, he was really wanted to try and be someone at the time. There's a lot of, um, and again, I don't know who to credit or, um, lambast. Is it the DOP or is it the director? There's a lot of, like, shoddy kind of, long takey camera work going on in this film that i think that's one of the reasons why it's so long there's there's, there's long pans around rooms and it, everything takes four times longer than it should to happen and that's why it's two minutes two hours 20 i think and and when when you cut co- when your coverage is all just pans it, it's how, how do you edit that down that was what we were saying uh, last time right where you were saying that you know, who's responsible for the pacing of a film is in the edit and i said there would when you shoot films uh, in a certain way whereby there's no there's no get out on your uh, on your um, camera work and if you didn't have the coverage in the first place that's how you end up with a, a 200 how fucking long is this film <laughs> <laughs> 2 hours 20 2 hours 18 or something yeah and the, and the you know let let it be known that i think we've all watched the uh, quote unquote director's cut of this one so it's 2 mm. hours and 20 minutes and there are scenes like re- really early on there's like almost a callback to Die Hard where we see a plane landing in LA and you're like oh yeah this reminds <laughs> me of a, the, um, a different yeah. fi- a different film you know, I'm expecting a little bit of Run DMC, but we don't get it. There's uh, the racist then, taxi driver. Yeah, what what has that got <laughs> to do with anything? How does that change the price of fish? I think I think it's setting up LA and the difference of LA to New York, but it just doesn't work. The bumping, the the first of the the fender bendering. Really, we're going to do a setup on that. The score also at the time, like, was reminding me of like gothic horror, like some Argento stuff, and that really lends to Bacula's de- death as well, which is coming up, but. The score is fucking all over the place. It sounds like it was composed by 20 different composers. And it, there's one on Clark that's my favorite, um, that just chimes in in a comedic kind of way, but it's so on the nose that it's just ridiculous. Like when, when Clark and Bruce Willis are interacting, the, the OCD, uh, Brad Dourif character. I, I think they even have like a, a, a chimes transition, like as they literally transition <laughs> the screen, which, yeah, I mean, I had a look at, I had a look at the composer because I messaged you guys offline and said, this is the worst score I've ever heard <laughs> in any movie. And I stand by that. Dominique Frontier, uh, a very, again, very acclaimed composer did the stuntman, Outer Limits. You know, he, if you go back and look at his work, this guy is super talented. But again, I wonder if his ear had gone because this is fucking yeah. crazy. It's televisual, right? It's like, ah, strange. It, like, my other favorite one was, uh, it, there's a magnificent score moment when, when Bruce Willis kisses her for the first time and there's a bass that line that kicks in and he's peeling off her dress in public that that bit um that that's they're but just both very on the nose moments where with no subtlety whatsoever and uh it's it plays as as funny it's a tough for i'm just beginning to think that maybe i'll 
some of the, the cues maybe weren't ready or because we've we've all seen such a strange version of it that um some of them haven't even been orchestrated which is why some of it sounds like it's a uh, temp track put in with um with keyboards because they just never got around to it but i'm so glad they left all that shit in because it is comp- there's a, a a piece of score music which comes right at the end i won't go into the end yet because we've got a long road to get there <laughs> There is a piece of score music, which as soon as I heard it, I was like, this is from something and I'm going to need all of y'all's helps to try and work out what it is. Climbing the tower. Oh, it, it, I did feel it was familiar. That whole sequence felt familiar. Yeah. Well, it, it reminded me, I mean, not to jump to the end, but it, it went Tim Burton Batman. I mean, what That's, the fuck? Yeah. Like, the map, the map <laughs> paintings. And I was like, this film, I never thought it would go here. Like this is. Yeah. <laughs> but let's let's get straight into it so 10 minutes into this film we we meet uh scott bacula uh quantum leap himself yeah so uh, so he he's but what's interesting is he's gone to his therapist uh, and then he's decided to go to la to get away to see yeah he's spoken to albert einstein who comes back again in a hot tub which is brilliant (laughs) Um, and uh and then he says i'm not running away from my like my fears, but I just, I'm empty. I mean, Bruce is, you know, we'll get into Bruce's performance in this, but he is floundering on some of these lines. I mean, especially when he's trying to do actual emotion. Like I know that, cause I mean, this is why it was interesting to look at his career because we think of Bruce Willis now as kind of just a paycheck actor, just doing any old shit straight to DVD kind of nonsense. But I'm starting to think that outside of like the big hits, he always did this. Because he is dreadful. I don't think he has integrity at all. I think he he takes roles, resents the lines that he has to say, and then doesn't put any effort or, or passion behind anything, takes the money and, and runs, and then wonders why people don't hire him back for decent things. I mean, it's a miracle that Pulp Fiction saved him, actually, because he's fantastic in that. I, I agree. Yeah. I, this does feel like that, and it makes you wonder how much... Gally, you said it there, is Rush lost the eye? Is he not very good with actors at this point? Is he, is he old and tired and jaded or, or what, you know? Cause when Bruce is with Einstein, he's saying, I'm still a romantic, just no one to be romantic with <laughs> is, <laughs> is kind of tricky. This doesn't play into any of Bruce's, um, uh, we talked about star persona and like he's not working with anything that, that works for him. Yeah. Like all the things about Die Hard that, that made him a star. It's like he's completely neglected them. I mean, that they always attack him for Bonfire of the Vanities and, uh, he's in like Death Becomes Her as well. He's yeah. kind of playing against yeah, type. Yeah, but he, I quite like him in that as the odd. Yeah, kind of, yeah, like when he's playing against type and he's aware of it, it, it's, it seems to work, but there's something odd here where he resents every word he's saying. It's well, just, I, I have a thing yeah. like, can you think of any other thing that Bruce has been in where he's played a romantic lead? Like, uh, oh, the, the one, uh, is not it, really, Michelle, right? No, 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 Michelle Pfeiffer, who did a rom-com about a break, a, court, a couple breaking up in the nineties, really? 99, I think it was. Yeah. Wow. But it's not what he's known for. And I just don't think it's a strength of his, his at all to, to, to be this ro- ro- helpless romantic. He has one, one in, in the 12 monkeys that, that works. The, the vertigo. Oh, sure. Yeah. By Catherine Rayleigh, but that's like, that's one scene. In a, in a film yeah. which he was, I think, being forced to do good work. Like, he seemed like he was, mm-hmm. um, I think he'd been a bit humbled by that point. It was the one film that, like, he got a bit lucky that he had a, mm-hmm. 
director who was going to push him a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the old Lionel Richie thing. Like, how much did his and Demi Moore's separation affect Bruce? Because he never seemed to come back from it, in my opinion. But maybe that was just because I keep thinking about him in Die Hard as this absolute lovable everyman. And then here he is in Color of Night. The only thing that um, gives you a little glimpse into Bruce is he's the the scene that you're talking about, Patrick, with the doctor, Doctor Albert Einstein. He's stroking, <laughs> he's stroking a pussy cat, and then he says the he says the line, "My patients want to either fuck me or love me." And I honestly, I was like, the director, you said, is he taking the piss? Yeah. I was like, they must be taking the piss. He's stroking a cat mm. as he says that line. It's and the music, the music as well. But, but it's, it's very important to note just as we go through the film that at this point, he, he can no longer see red and to deny red is to deny emotion. So he's got some issues that he needs to overcome throughout the film. Although the red, oh, fucking hell. Um, he's a romantic. No one's been romantic with him. Boom. Then he meets Rose. Like it's all set up. You don't feel like the the entire premise of the the color red and not being able to see it could have been removed and nothing would have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, outside outside of a car and a dress, it really doesn't come up, does it? The, the car's <laughs> the only thing that's used to display. It. I know that he finds uh, Clark mm. and there's the blood, but I mean, fuck that. The car but secret, it, and it doesn't matter because it's obviously the car chasing. You can still see the car; it's not invisible. But let's uh, let's get to uh, therapy with Bob in LA, which um, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe put our not put our serious hat on. But this this rose gallery of crazies is just kind of <laughs> super. In, it's uh, yeah, but it, Patrick, I say that lightly because it is. It, it's in the tone of the film. It, I get it, yeah. it. No, but it is so. It's so downright insulting that you can only laugh at its absurdity. The artist has literal paint marks on him. <laughs> Let's go through them. Let's go through them. So we'll, we'll start <laughs> with, we'll start with friend of the show, Lance Harrington, who's playing Yay. a character called Buck, who is probably the most mysterious out of the bunch of them. And you, you know, you mm. cast Lance because he's, you know, Decidedly untrustworthy. Yeah. Bit of gravitas. Interesting. The director in the studio wanted someone else, but Bruce said, I want Lance for that role. Well, he's cheap, isn't he? You know, so he can, Bruce can get more money. (laughs) (laughs) You get these kind of monologues from them, don't you? One at a time. And, uh, Lance as Buck was my favorite one. Yeah. yeah, I think he's, he's the best performance, actually. Yeah. You could argue it's the best performance uh, in the film. It's up there. But yeah, friend of the show, Matt, how many, how many appearances has he had now? This is number four. We've done the Terminator. We've done, um, aliens and hard target and now color of night, color of night. And our uh, alien series is going to feature him one more time pretty soon. So uh, he's going to be a a rewind regular. Uh, he's bringing his NYC hard man vibes again, minus the scarf from the alien making of documentary. But, um, th- this one, um, this, it was a peculiar one, but I, I do feel like he lends a bit of weight. Um, even though that there is one nice moment where he does the Chris Cooper from American beauty in the, uh, in the garage, in the rain, um, that, that has a, and, and he's quite obvious with his emotions in this one. It's, it's it's all laid out, but he's uh, he's more sincere than someone like Bruce. I think he's he's really trying to bring 
bring more of a sincerity at times. It is fair. He is he is the tortured soul who's lost his wife and child, and and they keep that they they keep that as a mystery. We would never find out unless someone exposed the dialogue that would give it to us. So that's that's quite fun. Then we have the artist who many might recognise from the Mummy. Yeah, in, Benny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's the uh, he's and the also a uh, played bass in Nirvana. <laughs> Did he really? No, 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 I'm joking. I'm joking. He looks like Chris Novoselic uh, meets uh, Kane from RoboCop 2. So I, I don't know who he is or why he's there, but it's uh, it's another bizarre turn. Mm, yeah. So his he's what a masochist, I guess, uh, with uh, daddy issues. I think they say. Yeah. Oh, that's yep. pretty much BDSM that's- artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Extraordinary. Not a, not a great artist, if I'm honest with you. Of the time, though, kind of ridiculous airbrush sex art. <laughs> uh, and then we have uh, what's the what's the lady's name? Because she's just the nymph, Sharon. Sharon, yeah. Uh, I, see, so you say you say Lance, but I think she's the she's the VR like the MV, MVP of this film. Like, she's she's, she's very. I, I like. Uh, um, it is Leslie Ann Warren, and yeah, she's she's very good. Sandra, yeah. I've got I've got old Sandra. Yeah, S O N. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she's um she's like the kind of Kim Cattrall, Sex in the City, sex maniac who <laughs> I really like the energy she brings to her character. She has a fragility really that that's quite interesting. And and although they're all kind of caricatures, uh there's something about her character that elicits some kind of empathy, which was nice in this film. Yeah, yeah. I could imagine in a better script that Julianne Moore would have taken the role. Like she's got that kind of energy. Also importantly, I think though it doesn't really take advantage of like uh, is an erotic thriller of the lesbian uh, uh, subplot with her and Bonnie. You know, you another scene there. It could have been. Ah, yeah. oh, don't because I like how it works. It's it's kind of <laughs> subtle and it does well for a character and it's not explicit or like yeah. uh, uh, done in a in a crude way. It's kind of an innocent mm-hmm. thing. Unfortunately, she's been kind of taken advantage of a little bit. What's her? Because there's a line about her <clears throat> husband died from mysterious. Uh, like we un un unknown death, uh, and I mm. think that outside of being a nymph, I think that's about as as crazy as she gets. She's the only one in the therapy group who's really kind of, yep, yeah, I'm a sex addict. You know, says it. Everyone else holds back on what they yeah. what they are as well, which um is a good character trait. So Brad Dorov, and you, they they've cast him because of you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Clearly, yeah, he's OCD. Um, a lawyer as well, which is, you know, he's OCD. Which are we should? <laughs> it's, it's, we're onto very broad strokes here. We have to be a bit careful because we're getting into, um, you know, Twitter. Um, what, what did I call it? Uh, I, I've looked at some of these, like I always write when I do my notes now, like 2021 hindsight. And like the first things that came up now were gender identity, which is, um, something that's quite prevalent in this one. There's racial stereotypes all over the place. You've got every kind of caricature of what mental illness could possibly be all thrown together in a room with people screaming at each other. And this is really good. I, mean, I don't want to be like the trigger warning guy, but you might want to be careful with this one if you're, if you're not really tuned in. And that's why I say like, I'm not trying to make light of it. We are, we are, we are yeah. meeting the material at face value from what the film is giving us, which is you have to just go, right, this is absurd. But, but mm. Wham Tales OCD is a plot thing as well, isn't it? Because, 
he counts the books on the shelf and that, which, that's yeah, they at least tie thing. that, at least they tie that in. Which is, of course, exactly what all OCT sufferers do is. Right. What's in the hands and counting books? Out loud repeatedly. Yeah. yeah. And, and even, even the, the group take the piss out of him. My name is Clark. I'm a lawyer. And, um, I'm an obsessive compulsive disorder. So what's the problem? (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, is that if you and Buck are going to smoke in here, then the door to Dr. Moore's office must remain open a minimum of 15 inches. I can't stand the smoke, okay? And I would also like to suggest that you buy one of those ashtrays that sucks up the smoke and purifies them. They cost $9.99 Half of which is four ninety nine point five. He's gonna open the door. One of you will have to pay an extra penny, He's but I'm sure you door. can work that out. He's gonna open the door. I'm gonna open. The door. <laughs> <laughs> I think the piss taking is something that is kind of a poor representation of therapy because you're supposed to all respect each other, and and it's done for laughs here, which is kind of it's not cool, but I I kind of get what the tone of the film's trying to do. And then there's Richie, a very important character that we get introduced to. I don't know whether you want to go into Richie and Jane March yet. Well, let's, well, we should at least tackle the, cause Matt's absolutely right. It's not a trigger warning, but this film, it, I remember Devlin when we were really early in the show and it was just me and you and we talked about, um, the, the depiction of Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. And I was probably a bit defensive because I was very much like, no, Jonathan Demi is, is really, uh, he's, he's treading a line, but I think he's on the safe side of the line. But now watching this and thinking about if I were part of that community, part of the trans or ge- uh, struggle with my gender identity, I look at the films from like early nineties and, and now I can understand why people get so pissed off and media matters. You got this, Ace Ventura, <laughs> you've got Silence of the Lambs. Well, even like you were saying, Dress to Kill, which is such a, a kind Dress of... Dress to Kill, yeah. The Crying so Game? All the, yeah. Crying Game, yeah. yeah. All these depictions, and they're always killers. They haven't got it, they haven't got it together, and there's always sexual, vi- sexual violence or pedophilia or abuse, and you're just like, Oh man, like, can we just not have someone who's got it together? I have quite a lot of notes on this. Like, we, we introduced Richie and Richie's got a stutter. Um, the whole story is that Richie is actually Rose, is actually Bonnie, and it's all come from the same place. But she, he's described as having a gender identity problem. And I mean, forgive me, I, I don't know. Like, but it, it seems odd to me that having the gender identity problem as a, as a, male um who wants to be a female in richie is still dressed very boyish and kind of you know i i could be completely way off it and like you know i don't understand the issue but that didn't work for me i didn't especially with the terrible wig um it, it's a very odd thing i kind of appreciate the makeup that they do to try and hide the fact that it's jane march playing the character but it's not very easily hideable but what I will say, Gally, is the other films that you're saying, like the, these kind of, uh, these, um, gender identity problem roles, it, 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 identification roles in 80s, 90s. Yeah, they are killers or have a motive here, but Rose here or Richie here is actually quite a positive impact on the people around them. And Rose has quite a positive impact on people. It's not her agenda, uh, or his agenda as Richie to, to harm anyone. 
they're just trying to find their way in the world. And I think that's quite a progressive thing that we spoke about the writer at the time. It's the brother that's the problem. And the brother has, has made them lose their identity and make them lose focus on who they are, which is why, uh, Richie's come out and Bonnie's come out and Rose has come out and it, it's all. A very you know conflicted character that I just don't think the film does it justice. Well, I you know Patrick, and again you're going to think that I'm uh, I'm undercutting uh, the seriousness with which we're trying to come at this. But the problem with all of that is the look. Yeah, but yeah, yeah like I said, it just doesn't work. So here's my here's my two reference points: the kid from the original Jumanji when he's turning into a primate, <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Helena Bonham Carter in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. That is what Richie looks like in this film for those listeners that have not seen Color of Night. It is outrageous. I mean, you, you not can't have, it. no, not to at all, but I mean, I mean, you can't seriously team like this is just embarrassing. Like I can't believe that when they were on set, that, that they would, they would give, that is outrageous. If you want a two minute, um, critics corner here, this was Ebert and Siskel. Uh, they, they knew immediately from the, from as soon as you saw her and then they could plot out the entire who done it based on that within the next 2 minutes so uh, i i wasn't that smart actually i i was uh i was kept a little in the dark with it. i just i thought the character looked unusual but i i didn't put two and two together a similar thing happened to me with um uh, the remake of Suspiria i won't go into why but there's a similar thing that happens in in that with a, with a character thought was bizarre, but didn't, didn't really grasp it until a certain, until a certain point. I had the same reaction where I was like, Oh, well it's, it's Richie's Rose, Richie's whatever. The, the rogue Immediately. Was, I mean, yeah, straight away. Yeah. But like yeah. the brother is the twist there that I didn't mm-hmm. quite see coming, but then it makes more sense of the second watch because like in the, you don't, why would you hide who it is if she's in the car and the voice and the gloves and... I was confused by the, the gender identity thing purely because, and this is like an early 90s, mid 90s thing, um, the fact that they were, uh, gendering Richie correctly where it was yeah. so fucking... That's what I was trying to say. That Richie was a woman. I thought that was the gender identity problem that, but that everyone in the room acknowledged it, that Richie was uh, was, was born a woman and was transitioning to a, to be a, a boy. So when they reversed that, that's where my confusion came in because of course this room full of people who are screaming at each other all the time and taking the piss out of each other's diagnoses would not gender, uh, Richie correctly. So that was confusing. Also, because I was squinting so hard to understand what was going on, I understood that Richie was played by a woman, but it wasn't until I saw Rose as Bonnie in the lesbian relationship with the woman with the big mouth that I understood that it was the same actress. Even though I, Jane March is quite um distinctive features. Mm. She's got a bit of the old cruise snaggle, hasn't she? It, yeah. <laughs> well, she, she hides it by, she's got really big lips, hasn't she? So I think she just tucks her lips in and then the stammer is misdirection. The, the costuming, I mean, the wig, as I said, go back, watch the original Jumanji. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, it, it's just, I, I saw it straight away, but then maybe, but you know what, Danielle, when she watched it, it, she was actually relatively surprised until, as you say, until Bonnie turns up, that's when she's like, Oh, because they're all about the same height and she's very, Jay Marsh. Well, they all look very, like Jay Marsh. Young. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's the she's very young. She's very slight. She's very petite. 
I didn't realise she was English, stupidly. Yeah, I know her English yeah, accent's that's... dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the who done it of it all, do you want to get into that? Like, did you? What was your process um, in in figuring out? And did you figure it out before it was revealed? I stopped caring, Matt. Once people started boning, so I just uh, I just immediately just stopped caring. A bit like a bit like Bruce. As soon as Bob, I mean, let's talk about the way. Bob, Bob and Bruce's relationship is, is probably the most fascinating in the film for me. Uh, so Bob played by, um, Scott Bakula, um, who sounds like he should be a cartoon character, but he isn't. Um, he, they, he is, they are what? Like competitors, best mates. He's going to live in LA with him in his big mansion. And he's a really successful therapist, even though this therapy so looks like the worst thing ever. Yeah. Uh, and he's got a book, hasn't he? He's like Partridge. Bouncing back. Yeah. I bounced back, Lynn. So is his is way to go, which is, uh, you know, brilliant. My book's being pulped. <laughs> it was like the, the worst, uh, <laughs> the worst quantum leap ever for Sam Becker. <laughs> um, and, uh, he, he's killed in a kind of a, a Dario Argento, um, yeah. Uh, that whole thing's hilarious. And then he's impaled on a, a, a huge shard of glass. And then my favorite moment in the entire movie is the little animatronic helicopter yes. that flies by in, in the background. <laughs> That's my number one. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like, very great transition. And then they cut out to a real helicopter and it's like, oh, we're supposed to put the, connect the dots there. I think it's quite I'm a cool really death. Good. I like the, uh, the fist knife. <laughs> But Bob's, um, he's ignored death threats, hasn't he? We, we established that his house has got like security cameras and all the security, but why the fuck would he not have that at his office to protect him there as well? The way that we've established that, that it's one of the group is he just says, it's one of the group. I've got, I've got loads of reasons <laughs> why, but I'm not going to tell you any of them. And now, and now Bill's a police officer now, is he? <laughs> well, no, no, we, Patrick, we're missing a very vital point. I know we're going slowly through this, but this early stuff is crazy. <laughs> They go for a little bike ride, oh, which man. is is just hilarious. When when Scott Bakula's doing little bike tricks <laughs> down, the, down the track. Oh my god, that oh, it's amazing, isn't it? The wheelie and the Bakula double is after after a twenty mile mile bike ride, yeah. and then you see oh. Bakula's dick through his uh, lycras as well. <laughs> There's like the the dust and the trail has kicked up onto his black shorts and left the perfect. <laughs> 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 Bruce Bruce does not look comfortable on that bike. No. Explain to me how he inherits his entire life. So he, he <laughs> lives in his house, he drives his car, He's he then the later, codes. you know, I don't want to, you know, learn all the codes. Spoilers, he starts having sex in his best mate's bed three days after his gruesome death. How is this all possible? Well, there's that. There's also the Martinez, the, the detective who asks him to continue the therapy session for the Monday to see if he can figure out one of the suspects, if he's done it, you know, get some feedback. So that is in it. And then they try and make an emotional tie where Bruce or Bill Kappa, uh, says, you know, like they asked me to continue the therapy, you know, so they did it, but it's, I mean, it's very fleeting and not very convincing. Um, and then we get another bump in the car in the back, don't we? And Rose crashes into. He lit- she literally crashes into his life. Hey. Uh, they all fender. They all fender bender. Um, I assume she's going to a casting call. I think she- does she intimate that she's an actress? I can't remember that, but that's what I that's what I figured. Or she's just a just a little. I mean, we'll talk about Jane Marsh, but it's it is. 
we, you know, we, we talked about it in Almost Famous, didn't we? The old, um, the pixie dream girl depiction. Well, this is maybe the original. Like she's, a, I think Bruce describes her as a fantasy girl. Yeah. Well, she's shot that way. It was almost, I thought it was a dream to start with. Cause A, how did she just turn up there and bump into him? But when, when Bill, like, hi, I'm Bill Capper. Full name introduction. This is where I was suspicious of him for the first time. I, I think Reuben Blades wants him to stick around also because he he's a potential suspect too, I guess. And when he starts narrating his own life, I thought this guy's madder than the rest of them. Yeah. So every time he sees her like approaching, you're talking like, you know, she's uh she's uh, an angel who stepped off a Christmas tree. Yeah. And she's wearing a backpack <laughs> that makes her look younger than she really Dan- is. Dancing on the head all, of a pin. bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all this bizarre stuff and things go into slow motion and it is dreamlike. So I thought we're, we're seeing this through the eyes of a psychopath at this point. And I thought Willis was the, <laughs> was the one who was responsible. I missed the first bit of narration, Matt. So the second one is, uh, when he's kissed her outside the bar or something, she goes into the car. Yeah. And so he's narrating off camera and then it turns around to him and you can see he's narrating it out loud. And I, yeah, I lost yeah. my shit. I, I was <laughs> pissing myself because I couldn't. I couldn't believe they were doing that. And I am beginning to think that you should just let me take you home and forget about this stupid taxi. Well, I'm thinking you should stay exactly where you are, because in that condition, get arrested. Start another riot. Well, just give me your phone number and address. What, you want to make me fall to earth and burn my feet? Whatever happened to Quicksilver and Light is there? She floats away on her sweet young legs, waves to him once drives away without a backward glance well we can mm. listen we may as well do all three the final one so i was doing it with danielle after we watched the film like <laughs> she leaves the room she gets drink she closes the door <laughs> honestly when Andy like, Newman get, takes a bite <laughs> gets an apple <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she opens the door and for um she falls into his lap and gives and, and embraces him lovingly i'm like what is he reading the stage direction from the script? And how is this being allowed to happen? Here she comes. <laughs> Wearing a backpack on her back, making her look even younger than she is. She falls into his arms. Oh, God. I'm so glad the tree here. I didn't know she'd be in. have to be anywhere until this evening yeah so what color are my nipples <laughs> i think i think it's bruce as well i i feel like bruce has tried a few things in here like go topless and show off his body quite a lot because he's obviously proud of it that narration stuff trying to show some charm i think it i think he's pulled his weight a bit is it trying to be cute and endearing, like yeah. as as a way of? He's of trying to be Douglas, this- like you said before. I think he's trying to be. Um, it, there's there's more of a vulnerable side to him, but it, he's he's not he's not trying to be the usual cool Willis. I, I do think the way he talk he speaks to to her character is the way that he probably talks to Demi and all the other women in his life. I, I think it's exactly it's straight out of his life. Particularly my other favorite scene, which is the the bathtub uh, tank. Oh my scene, God. uh, where he's talking about general pattern and the tank <laughs> fleet has, has been 
uh, destroyed and uh, it's it, it's really bizarre. It reminds remind me of the animal crackers on Armageddon in the yeah, Serengeti. Yeah. And all, all of the stuff, the, the way he communicates with her, um, they're on the sofa and they're looking at the, the 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 photos in the book and things, and he's saying that this is better than than life usually is. And the way he kisses her, there's a desperation and there's a, a strange kind of. Uh, I, I think he is trying to show another side, but I'm not entirely sure what what he's going for. I know we've already established that the character is kind of looking for love and is romantic and stuff. But I mean, mm. from the moment she crashes into him, he's besotted and in love. I don't, I don't buy it. Then he is it one more meeting, and then he's like, "I've missed you so much." Mm-hmm. What? It's just, yeah. it's just all cheap, shoddy writing, really. And he can't believe she's going to get in that taxi and not just go home and sleep with him. He can't believe that that could possibly happen. Well, Patrick, you say shoddy writing, agreed. Um, lazy, yes. But a performance can transcend what is on sure. the page. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. in, in basic instinct, Sharon Stone is, uh, and Michael Douglas have a couple of, of, of scenes before it all gets a bit steamy. But their chemistry is palpable. It's dripping, dripping like Bruce's body in this during one of the scenes. What do we think of Jane Marsh? Because I, I actually, in the end, I felt really sorry for her because there's a part of me that thinks, listen, this is a career ending performance. Yeah. And, and she thought it was a career starting performance. Absolutely. Really. Absolutely. But you've got to think, and this is me putting my serious hat on the script writer, the producers, and the director should be there to protect a young, impressionable actor who is trying to get started in the business. You don't know what is being sh- when you're when you're being filmed. You are putting your trust in the director to to put you in the best light. The lines of dialogue, the characters she has to do, the the end scene when she's having to flip between Rose and Richie, and she's I was just like, oh my god! And then we've got Jesus Christ imagery going on, which yeah. is just absolutely insane. Like I felt so bad for her because this material is insulting it. And anyone with any kind of credibility or clout in the industry would have just been like, I'm not doing that. But obviously she was like, I trust you guys to, to show me in the best light. It also seems like she was preyed upon a little bit, but she did a movie two years previous called The Lover, where she's kind of a Lolita style uh, character. I haven't seen it, but um it seems to me like she's doing she's doing what she can to get into the business. And I do think that there's a vulnerability there. And she, she perhaps did some, said yes to some things that, that maybe she would have regretted, but I, I would also like to give her credit for, for going for it, you know, and, and uh, just like I, w- I would give the credit to Sharon Stone for, for going for it with those really, you know, explicit scenes. Um, I just don't know if they had her best interests at heart, but I, I have admiration for what she what she did and she's by no means the worst thing in this film there's an interesting interview with her on on youtube when she goes in there's there's a lot here in the back that you might be able to read between the lines for her but she talks about her relationship with bruce and they've known each other three months at this point and bruce is very encouraging and helpful to her to to do these scenes like, like apparently it was all contractual she'd agreed to it in the contracts in the script all these love scenes and um she changed a minor and a few set of clothes off her, like on the day and this is quite a horrible quote but rush said it was a very unpleasant situation there were midst of filming and he said um convincing her to do this scenes felt like raping your leading lady um yep yep not a fan of that 
And, but Bruce, you know, invited her to his house with his wife and children to hang out and to make it more comfortable. And she says in interviews, like she had a really good time on set and her relationship with Bruce really helped to, to be comfortable to do these stuff. But I, I just look at this like, um, someone who was really trying for an, an award film, a big film. She saw Bruce Willis's name, signed up to a film, big performance. I think, I don't think she's bad at all. I think she's very good especially in the opening exchange she's very sweet and charming and you completely get the attraction because i like we spoke about um uh, uh sandra's energy her energy is very good as well story from the the film you were talking about matt the lover which um it seems like the two films that she that she had had two similarly shitty situations where um so the director of that was uh, jean-jacques Arnaud, the name of the rose guy and uh, uh, she believes that he spread rumors around the festival circuit that the love scenes that she did in that film were unsimulated to try and drum up some interest in his not particularly great film. And she was, I think, 16 or 17 when they shot it, which is just, that's fucked up. Fuck, you know. It's le- And again, it's learning all the wrong lessons from basic instinct and you actually think you know we talked we addressed the um, the the objections to the film when it was being being made basic instinct when the script got leaked out etc and um the demonstrations mm. they probably thought the basic basic instinct was going to be color of night and they <laughs> they picked the they they picketed the wrong film didn't they because this yeah. script is the script that you would think is the worst case scenario for depictions, for portrayals of uh, people uh, within that community, but also for just the sheer exploitation. And that is a horrible, horrible story for any director to try and drum up business by saying, oh, by the way, it's real on on screen. And and how does that affect how she's seen by other filmmakers? And and does that potentially lead to the mistreatment on this film? I think she did a very good job, though. From a performance point of view, she's very committed. She's very she's very very good there's something about me that i bet you find a little strange right what is that well i haven't asked what you do that's right you showed remarkable restraint well it's because i'd rather guess you know i, I actually get upset if someone tries to tell me before i can figure it out for myself you know? but what if i'm ashamed of what i do why why would you be ashamed of being a shrink? I told you I was a shrink. Well, are you? How did you know? That's <laughs> the way you look at me, you know. How do I look at you? First dinner scene is, um, again, a little bit crazy. I mean, a little bit amateurish, but they, they don't actually have a conversation. I think she says something like, I love guessing what your occupation is. Yeah. And, and Bruce, I think, um, Martinez says, you're, you're pretty fucking dense for a doctor. <laughs> I agree. He, he doesn't even put two and two together. So Bob has already said he met a young woman in his life. You'll come to meet her. Then this woman crashes into his life and she knows he's a doctor because of the way he looks at it. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, this is, this is just so bad. Well, he's not, he's not especially suspicious at any point, even when in the uh, impenetrable fortress that Scott Bakula has built for himself, that's full of some of the ugliest, happiest modern art I've ever seen, um, where she has basically somehow managed to jimmy open a fucking metal 
uh, fence, which is what breaks and broken. <laughs> she so, knows the codes. She must know the codes through Bacula. And then he walks mm. into the, the um, he walks into the to the house to find a naked uh, uh, Rose wearing only a, um, uh, a apron. Thing. And his and his first thing is, like, "What are you doing? You walking around here? It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous for you." To have broken into my house at a time when I am being threatened with rattlesnakes in my letterbox, and the guy, <laughs> yeah. and the guy who owns this house w- was murdered like three days ago. It was three days ago. It's established because the next therapy session, when he breaks the news, they say you withheld this for three days. Yep, yeah. and then three days later, I will be banging somebody in his bed no less i mean it's just outrageous (laughs) it's really really wild when you think about that sex scene and you think that it's him banging her face up against the headboard that her brother made yeah (laughs) (laughs) well actually yeah we've we've um we've jumped the shark so to speak can we can we get into the passionate hot sex scene that crash zoom out in the circle frame yeah it's like crash into the pool i've never seen people undress so quick so i thought on the podcast that i would never ever see a funnier shot than the dog that inserts the disc in law merman <laughs> 2 with its paw <laughs> but the color of night in my eyes has now got the championship belt because it's not just the visual the music strikes as they smash into the pool, kissing each other in passionate love. And then we get to see the purple root of Bruce. It is <laughs> fucking hysterical. Yeah, but then we've also got my favorite cutaway like ever, which is of two paragliders out the window. What does it mean? I know I bring this up way too much, but there is a uh, uh, an infamous Russ Meyer sex scene in the film Finders, Keepers, Lovers, Weepers, where uh, uh, a couple are... Uh, banging in a pool and i think this must be a direct reference uh they have like a it's similarly ridiculous like completely over the top athletic uh um thrashing very white ass on the guy thrashing and in that scene i was thinking showgirls yeah. too yeah. In, in in that scene there's um intercut is footage of a demolition derby <laughs> No. <laughs> and i thought that was the weirdest cutaway i think that the the hang gliders is weirder. Well, it is because is, is it is it is it representative like two doves chasing each other? It, two it has birds? to be two people entwined. With... Oh God! Because he he tries to. I mean, um, again, sorry, listeners. Um, you know, it'll be crude, but he tries to go down on her in the pool. Which... I, I can't hold my breath that long. No, no, no. Well, I can't hold my breath, nor can I. <laughs> can I get get it? You know, I, my tongue will not beat water. It's way more resistant. He starts kissing her leg. Starts kissing her leg. And she goes down on it. But it's very funny when she goes down on him because obviously her body's impeding his penis. And when she frees up, it just goes flop up and comes into view. <laughs> I was crying. It's so funny. There's a website called moviesensorship.com that I often visit like prior to these discussions. And they're the theatrical cut and the director's cut are very different here. Um, I think they both feature the crash zoom or the, that we've talked about, but the, 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 the blocking of everything is, is kind of a little bit different. So I, w- I was going to say at the end, but anyone listening, make sure you check out the two hour 20 version 
and don't get don't get burned like uh, um, some people online have been because all all of the good stuff is is missing and um, the, the, most of the hilarity is in the longer version. I think Abs- absolutely, Matt. You know, you do not want to be watching this for the who done it. Like this, is, no. <laughs> yeah. I think this is all of Rush's. This is Rush's big scene. This sex scene because. I mean, it was, it was no secret that he was trying to and going for like the number one sex scene of all time. Um, and apparently in, in his film Freebie and the Bean, he also, great title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he also has a sex scene that's intercut with a, with like a steak dinner, like being cut as well, wow. which is symbolic of the pink juicy. That's his auto trademark. So, so this sex scene's. What did she say? Did she say, let's go get some fit? Oh, after, after the most hilarious Bruce Willis orgasm scream in the background, he's off camera. He's hear him just go like, Argh. it's the loudest <laughs> orgasm in all 30 of my erotic thrillers that, that I, that I picked. And it comes from a guy. It comes from Bruce. And then Bruce has time to dry off and put a suit on for dinner. Well, this is the clever thing that it's actually genius. I, I thought it was absurd and there was no kind of reason, reasoning for any of this. But what they've actually done is they've, they're sneaking two sex scenes in for the price of one. Yes, exactly. By, by having her, um, stop him mid coitus and, uh, make steak and pasta and asparagus. Let's get dressed up and asparagus. And, but she doesn't get dressed up no. at all. She's completely nude. He gets dressed up. And then, uh, no one eats the food that's been prepared. Uh, he just sat there presumably while she cooked Move it. Move your then... plate six inches to the right. <laughs> exactly. So he can see her through the glass Jesus. table. And, and then they have sex in a shower. So that you, you're managing to get two for the price of one. It's, it's very shrewd. We were comparing this as we always will to basic instinct, which is, you know, the, the urtext for this whole, uh, <clears throat> Um, the scenes in Basic Instinct were very graphic and Basic Instinct was, was for its time kind of quite bracing and quite graphic. And the reason being that the film has to be about like sexual obsession and you have to have Catherine Trammell's character be so kind of, um, uh, over the top that you can see that she's going to push Michael Douglas, who's already a character who's got some problems over the edge. And then it becomes like a kind of weird sexual folly adieu. But this, the rest of this film is so fucking weird and flat and unsexy that having this, what is honestly quite graphic, but not, not at all erotic sequence, just burst in out of nowhere and then, and then it's so out of place. No, no, this is the least erotic, erotic thriller that we've ever seen. And it, it doesn't help because it's so truncated and so, removed from anything else like in basic instinct it's well it's it's part and parcel of the characters and it it weaves itself into the plot you know the murder at the beginning of the basic instinct is whilst having sex whereas in this once once they have sex in the shower and bruce has sort of cleaned his arse and stuff it cuts to him just in a library trying to find out who the killer is it has no bearing on on his on his decision making going forward it's just I think what Gally's saying is right. There's no um, tension because the the murders and the tension and, and right, the sexuality yeah. are not connected in any way. A lot of these films, when when the sex and the murder and the death is all kind of intertwined, yep. it can escalate things. And that the sex scenes actually become interesting and dangerous or erotic. And and here, like you said, it's too detached from everything else. It mm-hmm. it is something that will will play. On its own, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's designed purely as a 
as like a stimulus of for that rather than being part of the story. That kind of well, it's, yeah, 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 exactly, it's there yeah. for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is may as well just have a plumber coming in to fix the fridge. <laughs> Mm. But I mean, you know, we're, we're an hour into our chat and let it just be reminded listeners for those that you are not paying attention. Produced by Disney. You know what I mean? Like this is what I couldn't get my head around. Like, okay, Bruce Willis was saying his star is, is feigning, uh, into the, into the, the night, but he's still Bruce Willis, you know, star of Die Hard. It's still $37 million budget. Like, do better. This is like, I was, I was honestly, I was laughing. I mean, Devin, you're saying, dull and turgid oh no not dull it's unsexy and very strange but uh the one thing it is not is is boring largely because it's it's so it's just weirdly fascinating yeah. Yeah, yeah it is like like now after sex with rose bruce just decides to visit all of his patients and ask about well, richie he's become a detective now yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we haven't really talked about Ruben Blades. Wow. Um, How have we so far not talked about Ruben Blades? He has, he has stepped out of Predator 2 through a Mel Brooks movie and then into this. Like this. Same clothes as Predator 2. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it is straight. I, I honestly thought he could have gone straight to a naked gun film. He's so over the top. He's dialed up to a million. It's, and, and a lot of it, it, the misjudged comedy of Ruben Blades is like a defining element of this, like right down to the, at the post-credit roll, yeah. he screamed. I don't know if anyone actually stayed that long, but I did pathetically. And he yells out again um, at the end of the credits. I think he yells, uh, come on, you fucking daffodil. Get me out of here. Like that. And that's the last thing you hear in Color of Night. I'm being really nice. Out of concern for your safety, in case it's one of them. huh? Shut it down, okay? No, can't do that. Shut again. it down, chingada! Don't be an asshole! Find another fucking set of wombats to exploit! These sudden irrational outbursts, Hector, do they begin in childhood or in puberty? Get out of my face! Am I in your face? An interesting choice of words. Would you like me in your face? You married, Hector? Yeah, yeah. If you ever want to deal with any of these problems, I'll give you a special rate. Special rate? <laughs> what, like frequent flyer miles? Let me ask you something. Are you really colorblind, or is that some shit you feed them so they feel sorry for you? No, unfortunately, I am colorblind. You bug the office. You're for a shrink. You're pretty fucking dense. There's a weird thing with Ruben Blades when he's yelling at Eric LaSalle that is very strange. It feels racially motivated mm-hmm. and very peculiar. He doesn't want him coming into his office. I didn't read it that and, way. Uh, I, I read it as just more a character thing that he was just, I, it's just him being him. When he, he's an asshole in general, but he, he, he's peculiarly like ec- extra weird with Eric LaSalle. Also, he says something about like, you know, that this is a civilization or something which has like very uncomfortable uh, uh, undertone. But because he's so weird, all of his insults to everyone are completely out of left field. The fact that I, you were saying before, I don't know if the word daffodil as referring to somebody with mental health problems is slur or not, because it's a very strange thing to say. And he does it a lot. I, I've never heard it used as a slur. So I, I, I went for it. Later revealed that he's a former narcotics cop. So I do wonder if he's been on the take or has decided to, you know, get high in his own supply, so to speak. But outside of what that, what was that other subplot where he slept with um, Henriksen's wife? 
Buck forgives him because he can't forgive her. Aww. Well, it's like another red herring. Like, oh, actually, maybe Reuben Blades is the killer. It's like, no, there's like 10 minutes left. It can't be him. Like, it's just it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, again, the, the script is so madcap that only the 90s could provide such. Although I say that, it felt so 80s. Like, everything about the mm. film, the look of it, the score... The, the the depictions felt so 80s yet we, it's a 94 film I mean, the same year as pulp fiction just just uh, uh, cannot be the antithesis of pulp fiction as far as uh being ahead of its time it's yeah. crazy yeah oh you know can we can we i know we're we're past it in the plot but can we please make mention to the fact that bruce willis shouts at a rattlesnake the rattlesnake post box the, the car dodge it's the, ca- well, the car dodge is the best bit because it's, they think they're staging this amazing thing where, oh, what is he going to do? There's a car heading for him, but he can't move forwards and he can't move backwards. It's like, just move and just, up and, and walk then the away. And there's gardener next to him. He can't hear him over the... He whacks he whacks the um the post box with a spade as well, which is another. And then the snake goes Bruce flying out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tremendous animal. Oh they, uh, they borrowed it from mm. uh, from <laughs> from our target. It's a shame he didn't find it. Yeah, Bruce should have bit the tail off before he let him go. You know, did you did you guys notice that that gardener had a really bad couple of days? Because not only did he see a rattlesnake go by, but he later gets uh, crashed into during the uh, Does, really yeah. suspenseful car chase. Oh, is that him? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same ah. truck who gets smashed into. Yeah, bless him. <laughs> I quite like that crash. Yeah, so we're into the red car chase, aren't we? When well, what's the voice mm. that the when you were saying like? Like Jallo ripoff. That's a little bit profundo rosa. It is, yeah. Red. It it went goes from childlike to that kind of like a deep a deep voice. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what they say. What do they say? Suck my scalpel, buster. Yeah. That also like reminds that. me of um like Black Christmas. The most disgusting thing of Black Christmas is the 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 nuisance phone call guy. Although it's honest, it's not anywhere up at mm. that level of the um the pig snorting and stuff. That's fucking. Well, then look at the scream voice. I mean, it's not a million miles away from the scream voice, but it, it's, it's, you know, in that vein. I do quite like, and I was like the idea of, it's not very well done here, but you know, when a vehicle tows like six cars on the back and then right, rolling out yeah. towards him. I quite like the idea of that as like an action set piece, but, but it doesn't really work here. No. Um, yeah, it's not quite bad boys too. It's not, no, not quite. Not, no. And then it's not this car chase, is it? It's later when the red car's stalking him. I'm going ahead, but how the, how this is where I'm like, this is a piss take to push that car off the top of a parking garage and hit exactly where Bill is, is just, <laughs> well, that was, um, uh, Ebert's it. problem. Ebert said there's, there's no way they would know <laughs> that he was directly below. Yeah. It's like, are you, are you focusing on the right thing here, Roger? <laughs> it, it also leads to my, 
other favorite moment, which is when Bruce jumps onto a gray mattress and you can see the mattress at the bottom of the frame <laughs> when he lands on it. Um, so I just wish there was some B-roll of him jumping onto that mattress. I'd, I'd love to see it. Surely you like, you look through the monitor and go, I think the mattress might have snuck in. Somebody has to see it. They have, they have to, to see it. And then if you're the editor, then just cut just a little bit, just a little bit sooner so the mattress doesn't ping up. Nobody cared, did they? Somebody saw it and went, ah, fuck it. Just leave it. When he's in the car chase, though, he, he also hits a trolley in the road, which is amazing. Yes. Um, That's a very Michael Bayism oh uh, kind of moment. Yeah, I was, ex- I was expecting a row of uh, people in wheelchairs to cross the road. Just, uh, <laughs> Pain Michael glass Bay. window. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, oh, I almost killed someone out there. <laughs> but why? Why is he at Martinez's birthday party? And then, like, two minutes after the scene, he's like, if I knew it was your birthday, I wouldn't have come. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole thing was based around mooning from a helicopter and getting more nudity into the film. I wouldn't, you know. It's, the film is equal opportunities when it comes down to horrible depictions because what is going on with the Mexican birthday party? Well, it's got some of my favorite extras ever. When they react to the rain, oh, yeah. they're like, Oh, it's raining. And they have this moment yeah, uh, of panic and they run away. It's, it's hilarious that shot. They react to the piñatas. Oh, look at the two guys reacting to the kids oh, hitting it's a, the piñatas. It's amazing. It's like they've been directed to to be amazed at, uh, at what's going there's on around There's them. some incredible extras in the marketplace as well when he goes with the other policemen mm. to get some, I don't know what your orders, two sandwiches or something. But there's some, look at the extras in the background there. Some of the costumes are <laughs> remarkable. How does he end up at the market with Eric LaSalle? Because he calls him. He, he rings him and he says, meet me at 6am. I got to talk to you. I hope you get up early. I get up at six. Done. No further detail. <laughs> we have an hour dance of Bruce trying to find out what the hell is going on. And we are the audience are watching it going, please, Bruce, help us. He never goes to the source, does he? he goes but but at that time, he should be chasing Bonnie because he's seen the photo of Bonnie. But he goes back to the needle. It's very odd. It's very strange. In Basic Instinct, I, I made mention that Michael Douglas is the worst cop ever. You know, shoot a Douglas. Um, but, but in this, Bruce is the worst therapist, worst cop, worst capper ever. I can't like, believe he is- he's doing detective work. Like, Martinez just can't be asked, and like, you do it for me. So, Dale hmm. hates therapy. He killed Bob because, because Bob wouldn't, because Bob wouldn't let Richie get out of therapy. No, no, but why does Dale hate therapy? It's because, because Richie took it, his life because he was abused by a therapist. Yes. Yes. And then he has turned Rose into Richie because he obviously misses his brother. Yeah. Rose has mm. been suppressed and Bonnie came out first. I mean, let me just say mm. this now. Donald Kaufman's the three <laughs> is looking pretty cogent <laughs> compared to this. Like I, I honestly was just like, wait a minute. This is, this has gone into batshit levels of nuts. This poor Jane Moss trying to explain as she's been needled to a chair Oof. with a Jesus Christ image in the background and Bruce going, Jesus Christ, Jesus <laughs> Christ, as he discovers her in, in like the chemical plant where the Joker was formed. It's yeah. fucking nuts. Like what is going on? Well, there's all that, there's all that the effigy, is- like the uh, artwork around. So leading to crucifixion type needle stuff, but. Uh, nail stuff but it just comes fucking mm. ex nilo and 
That's just reminded me of one other finer detail, which couldn't have been an accident. Did you notice that the factory that Dale worked in was called the Paradoxal yeah. Factory? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was honestly, I was watching it like, oh, if Nolan, Nolan must have watched this. That's so funny. Was there an explanation as to why Ruben Blades was just suddenly there? His partner, the guy from ER, he, Bruce had asked him to get the registration address and he'd gone to Martinez behind his back so they both had the same address to go to. When Richie died, Dale buried the body and then he said, Richie, come here. And I told him, I told him my name is Rose. He slapped me so hard I couldn't get up. And he, he made me dress in these clothes and he did things to me that made me not want to be a woman anymore. I was Richie from then on. What happened to Rose? After a while, I forgot about Rose. Then Richie busted. And you had to come to group. I know. They were our world. They were our family. But then what? Rose started coming back. No, Rose, Rose was too scared, so Bonnie came out. Bonnie was first. Oh, honey. Help me, please. Help me. Here's a question. So the killer, Dale, gets shot in the head. Bruce is about to be strangled the way that Richie strangled himself and committed suicide. Um, mm. And Rose is, like, battling Richie inside and is like, oh, no, I, I, I need to escape. So she runs all the way to the top of the clock tower, uh, to, to then in Gotham, in Gotham, to then possibly, <laughs> to possibly jump to a death, a la call back to the first scene. So there is a little bit of synergy mm-hmm. there. How the fuck? Cause I, I've watched it twice. How does Bruce get underneath to then catch her on the cable? No, there's a gap. There's a gap in the railings. It's like a Cirque du Soleil kind of thing he does, like intentionally, I think, to catch her. But he's not an acrobat. How does? How can he do that? Because he's buff, isn't he? We've established he's buff. You're telling me he appends the law of gravity, so he beats <laughs> he beats Rose to the punch by getting to the wire before she jumps. But then the best bit, Gally, the payoff when he's when he's cuddling her on top and he saved her. He can now see red. It's all it's awful. It's the worst freeze frame at, at the end of any film I've ever seen. It's poorly composed. And then just in case you didn't laugh there, they'll, they'll put him in at the end of the credits as well. But the, there's a difference there between the theatrical and the director's cut. One goes to black. Is sensible. The theatrical cut is sensible enough to just go to black and go to credits. And the director's cut, for some inexplicable reason, freezes on the on the worst shot imaginable. And there there are things in, just talking about the red, there are things in the script that try to make the symbolism and stuff like through the keyhole the talk of like inventing your own truth and we all have to fill in our own blanks and invent things <laughs> but it, it's all just tosh right yeah they, they mm. read one introduction to bullshit psychology and then they're like all right this bit and this bit. They, they read Bob's book way to go <laughs> and that was about, that was about as far as they got so, talking to Bob's books uh, uh, we go we're all over the place they like the film aren't we um with the Van Gogh book on the uh, bookshelf. Oh, yeah. Now, y- your man, uh, is it Clark? I, f- I forget Clark. OCD Clark. I see, Wormtail. When he's like, yeah. there was 58 <laughs> books here, there was 59 last week or something. There's like three weeks passed, but then we mm. find out that Sondra, have I got that right? Yes. That Sondra mm. took the Van Gogh book. Why? I don't know. I don't really understand why she's, uh, she wanted to read the notes, I guess. 
but well, no, what for Van Gogh? No, nah, maybe she. No, I think did she, she knew was. But she, she said she I didn't that... read him. I didn't read him. But then <laughs> if she didn't read, like you flick through a book, you'd find that photo of Bonnie, and then it, it, it just doesn't make sense, like to me. It's very odd. If she had the book for a whole week, I I don't get that. Yeah, the, the 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 one time the script tries to make Bruce the smartest man in the room is that he's on top of he, he he's on to Rose because she's a bit shifty about the photo album that they're looking through that's his dead murdered mates wives <laughs> naked pictures in there again trying... an excuse to get a bit of muff in there oh a nice bush indeed but I mean it's just yeah this film is. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've kind of gone through the entire plot, so it's kind of arbitrary to ask you for favorite scenes, but I've got a favorite shot if you're interested. <laughs> oh, I am. Uh, I am. Yeah. It's when Bruce Willis as, as Kappa is going to see Casey, uh, where he discovers he's been killed and he jumps down from the roof and lands next to a life-size statue of a cow, which he then <laughs> pats on the face. And then sort of moves on. And it's just like the absurdity of that moment sort of sums up the color of night for me. Yeah. Yeah. Really oh, man. And then when he gets, we haven't spoken about Casey's death, but cause, oh yeah, actually to talk about that, to ask you, cause when he's, is he whacking out? Is he doing some weights? And he gets the belt round and he goes, Oh, you again. I wasn't expecting you. Can you do it in 30 minutes? That's her, right? But the brother yeah. comes to kill him the off screen. Um, we don't know. She doesn't kill him because that's not who Bonnie is, right? That's a very good I point. assumed that he was wearing a mask or something. Well, no, no, come on. She's tiny and he's bigger and a man. <laughs> so, so, so my question is, A, was he and he doing the BDSM? Cause we never see, he, he does say, go on, bitch, like slap me or something at the beginning and calls whoever mm. it is off screen a bitch, which could be man on man. What's all the, all the paintings are clearly of her though. But then all the paints yeah. are clearly of her and he, yeah. surely the brother's trying to hide that identification process. But I was a little mm. bit kind of like, ooh, it, it, it would have been her and then. You, you're in danger of uh, going full Ebert here if you're going to get wrapped up on that detail. <laughs> no, because it's an interesting <laughs> plot point because yeah. if it is her, then it, she becomes a killer. But we, I said it before, like she's actually quite a positive character to all of them and gives them what they want and makes them feel loved. So. Has a brother manipulated her to do that, to kill him? Like, it's a genuine plot point question. I think it's a valid question because... It, it is, yeah. I, well, may, maybe you're right. Maybe they're both there in, in cahoots. Is that is that what, what could be happening? She must know that her brother's doing this. I mean, she she talks about, oh, I, I think when she's got the stammer, she says, oh, I wish my brother didn't love me so much. So she knows that he's overly protective how aware yeah i wouldn't say complicit but there could be a crossover if some somehow because he obviously has influence and hold on her he but everything else i feel like she does a free will like her relationships with everyone else i think is to try and identify who she is and and to figure out as bonnie is emerging yeah or or back to rose or yeah it's Mm. An odd. I, I was kind of a little bit. Ooh, this is could go either way, and I'm not sure here. Anyway, I think um, I think that is the color of night uh, done. Shall we see if it's a red rag to a bull? Final thoughts, and do you recommend Color of Night, Devlin? What do we think? Um, everyone should go out and watch this immediately. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this film. I I I guess um. The, the, the pantheon of the so bad it's good head scratching 
ridiculous classics you'd you'd thought they'd all been found i felt like you know it's just it's the same ground being being dug up over and over again and for some reason this is not a film that i have seen mentioned in the kind of you know it's not been reclaimed in the way that showgirls has i think this is way more fun than showgirls this is yeah. possibly the dumbest studio film i've ever seen uh certainly the strangest um i we talked a couple of a couple of like quite you know serious serious things about oh the representation is awful and it is but it's also i i would struggle to think of anyone who would be offended by something so inept because it's <laughs> in a way um so yeah jesus if you haven't seen it please just go watch it right now watch the longest version you can possibly find um how about, how about you matt uh, I will echo that, but, um, I, it just, we're being a bit silly with it. It's, it's really not a good film, <laughs> obviously. Um, I, I can't recommend it on that level, but, um, as part of an erotic thriller season to leave this out would be a crime. Uh-huh. It, it needs to be in there because it spells out the tropes in obvious ways. Um, it, it's ticking those bingo boxes left, right and center. Uh, if, if you want to really look into the, the, the peaks and troughs of, of the erotic thriller, this, this is a really interesting trough. And, um, it has enough people in that you'll recognize to, to probably have a really nice time as well. <laughs> um, there's a lot of people popping up that I enjoy seeing. I know Henriksen's not great in it, but it's like, oh, that, yeah, there's Lance. Um, and I'm a big Bruce Willis fan, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll recommend it purely on that basis that it's it, it's somehow comments on on that particular genre that we've described as being sort of deceased now, um, and it's it's a really interesting one to look back on. It is lots of fun. I I agree with with Devlin's summary really. So uh, yeah, uh, how about you, Patrick? Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that I had that random memory of Bruce's penis in a swimming pool from years ago to to bring to the foreground of of your minds right now. <laughs> um, what I I watching it just laughing and smiling and shaking my head twice this week mm. because uh, a I'm flabbergasted and it's bonkers and it's it's wild like it's such a mad film. But I really enjoyed it, uh, for all the kind of wrong reasons, in a way. <laughs> yeah, in fact, like the runtime, 220, we spoke about runtimes with Jesse James. I didn't think it was, it felt long at all. Like it kind of bangs <laughs> along as Bruce and, uh, <laughs> Jane does. <laughs> um, <laughs> it has memorable moments. It has laugh out loud moments. It's, I, I don't, I just agree with everything you two have said, to be honest. And this chat's been really great. Uh, now mm. that Matt's been welcomed back into the gang after uh ostracizing himself last week <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm happy that we can all agree on how ridiculous it was but i it just there's things to take to it and look at it I, I i did put down like a note to chat with you like what would we have done differently because i think there's maybe something in the film that could have been a, a loads better as a film but it is just how did this get made it's fascinating so recommend is to watch it with all these provisos and watch it with the right frame of mind to understand that this is a shitter, but a fucking brilliant shitter, uh, an example of nineties erotic thriller. Gally. Oh, it's a, it's an absolute slam dunk touchdown. High recommendation <laughs> from me. Um, <laughs> the best nine pounds you've spent this year, Gally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This, this film is so awful. 
it has to be seen. I mean, um, <laughs> as we come together again beyond this pandemic, you can't go too far wrong. Getting friends together, having a few drinks and putting Color of Night on. Uh, it is the Garth Marenghi of erotic thrillers. Uh, I, I'd, I'd written here that had Mel Brooks in his heyday couldn't pen a better parody of the erotic thriller. I absolutely loved this film. And this now needs to be rediscovered and put on rotation in cinemas. You want to get people back into cinemas, get it next to Double Bill with the Room and Samurai Cop. Because <laughs> the color of night. Honestly, Patrick, thank you for making us watch this because this piece of sordid goddamn nonsense would have passed me by so god bless you and god bless robin hood it's a recommendation from me <laughs> brilliant where can we find it team because i i i bought it on amazon it cost me nine quid because i wanted to watch it in <laughs> super hd that that's what that's digital right that you that's the digital i paid a digital purchase yes i spent um, two pounds on ebay wow. for a dvd that was outdated of four by three format which apparently you watched it both in widescreen yeah in in America, the only place you can stream it is Hoopla. Um, but in the, in the UK and America, ev- everything it's yeah. There's nothing in Korea you can rent it and buy it but on the usual place. We'd also it, like but. to, with our listeners now, start the petition to Disney and Stars Play to get it online on Disney Plus, considering they were involved in it anyway. I want to see the content one, and they put up front on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, I want to see this on Disney Plus. It's sat there on the back shelf, gathering dust. Please go on, get it out and put it on Disney Plus. We'll start the petition. Um, but no, you have to, listeners, you have to go and buy this. But trust me, it, you will not regret it. It's absolutely charming bit of, uh, bit of cinema. And please, if you do watch it, do write to us because I really want to know what everyone thinks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of you that are following this re-rotica, <laughs> the awakenings, so to speak, um, the next <laughs> film in this series will be my choice, which is Fatal Attraction. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. get that lined up, uh, and, and get it watched back to somebody who can handle the, the genre, Douglas. So, um, so yeah, we'll be, we'll <laughs> yeah. be discussing that one next in this series. And, um, you know, a chance, uh, if you, if you like what we do, Please, uh, find us on Twitter. We're at Rewind Movie Podcast. Also check out the website, the rewindmoviepodcast.com. Um, we've also going to be putting some episodes on YouTube so you can find us there. And, uh, and do like, subscribe, uh, and, and give us a little review. I will, I will say my goodbye. You know, for a shrink, you're pretty fucking dense. It's Gally in Glasgow signing out. Um, uh, sorry, class ran really late. It's advanced cunnilingus for the single woman. It's Devon in London. <laughs> yeah, rattlesnake. It's Patrick in London. The rain nails me every time, man. It's Matt in South Korea. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.